International Podcast Day edition. We bought a mic. 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 Ants! They're on my face! I'm gonna take your mic off. We have to steal the Nicolas Cage of Independence. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And uh, we, uh, we have some news for you, listeners. Sad news. Drew has sadly left the podcasting sphere and therefore life. Yeah, I mean... Everyone he... knows when you're not here to record the podcast, that means that you're no longer alive. I messaged him today and I was like, happy International Podcast Day. And he was just like, oh, he was like, happy International Podcast Day. And he was like, that's not a real thing. And I was like, yes, it is. And he's like, well, I guess I'm going to go hang myself then. And Damn. i that was the last that we heard from him. Guys, if you if you have a, a common cold, take your medicine. You know, sometimes you might feel like doing a podcast is the most important thing in the world. And that, you know, nothing can can stop in the way of you recording your weekly podcast. But. Which that brings Take us to our sponsor. That brings us to our sponsor today, Theraflu. It's flu season out there, guys. Make sure you stay protected. It's flu season every season nowadays. Yeah. 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 Thanks to that end. fucking flu, the flu virus, flu vaccine. So. Vaccines aren't real. <laughs> fucking Democrats out there trying to tell me vaccines are real. So today on the show, we are talking the new Nick Cage film, Mandy, um, which has been quite. It's lit up quite a buzz on film twitter among various uh cinephiles online and we we want to get in on the action of talking about it because everyone it has like a 90 something percent on ron and what else are we going to review <laughs> the house of the clock in its walls yeah. so <laughs> so this is what we're going with this week and yeah it has a 93 percent on rotten tomatoes which is kind of shocking based on the kind of film yeah. that it is but whatever we'll get all into it yeah and uh the good place season three premiere um, but before we get into that, we have some fan mail. Hey. Yeah. People and listen. We have Colin After Hours writing in. Oh, I, boy. This sounds familiar. Colin. Hmm. Well, Colin says, hello, you ducking loser. Parentheses. Sorry, my phone tends to autocorrect words deemed naughty. As your lord and savior of the summer movie wager two years in a row, Oh, this is Colin Goody. Oh, my God. I thought that we had like eight different Collins that were writing into us giving us fan mail. Oh, man. Shit. It is now time for me to declare a film for you guys to review. Yeah. So uh, previously we we had this. He's not writing this. This is me saying this. Previously, we had reported that Allison, Drew's girlfriend, had won the wager. But in a last minute uh, dramatic turn, the Meg overtook Mamma Mia 2 for the number 10 spot, making Colin the winner. Um, Literally in like the final day that we were doing the summer movie yeah, wager, this actually happened. Which I am fucking pissed about because now Colin is the uh, two-time undefeated champion. Kill me. So he continues, this year I am going to spare you and demand that you review a good film, at least a film that I enjoy. Oh, wow. Okay. He's showing okay. us mercy. Oh, wow. Hmm. I would really enjoy if you guys watch and review the film Unbreakable, 
on your podcast. Unbreakable for the film being for the time being is now available on Hulu to stream. Thank you and bow down before the one you serve. You're going to get what you deserve. Your dear friend Colin <laughs> K. Goody. I think that uh, he put this as our thing where we have to watch it because he kept telling me I watched Split and I was very ambivalent towards Split. And he was like, no, you got to watch Unbreakable, though. And I was like, eh, maybe I'll get around to it. So now I literally have to watch Unbreakable. And then he says, P.S. Hunter, fuck you. That is all. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, Sent from my Icelong. I'm glad that I got a special shout out from his Icelong. Yeah. So thanks for writing in, Colin. Uh, you can always email us at weboughtamike at gmail.com with your uh, explicit takedowns and um, insults directed towards... We who try very, very hard to give you good content every week. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for that, Colin. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it anywhere between now and the beginning. Or, okay, uh, Glass comes out at the beginning of January. next year. So we could always yeah. do... I, I wanted to re-watch, to watch Unbreakable and rewatch Split before uh, Glass comes out so we can... Yeah, and when, when, we did, when we did our bright commentary track, it was around uh, that time, I think, oh. Also, January, I mean, what else are we going to talk about in January? So, yeah. you know, I mean, this, uh, let me think. I think I would rather not do a commentary track for Unbreakable. No, because I've heard that's by all accounts a good movie. Yeah, I can't believe I've never seen it. Like, yeah. I've, I've been waiting, I guess, for this moment to see it, you yeah. know, <laughs> and Glass is coming out, which should be a fun movie for all accounts. So, yeah, we'll we'll definitely get into that. I'm I'm excited to check it out. We have one bit of news to talk about um, before we get to what we've been watching, and that is that Fox, uh, which may or may not be uh, controlled by Disney, we don't really know if if Disney is the one making this, these decisions, but they decided to put out a PG-13 version of Deadpool 2 this December. Um I, what do you think about this? What This is the weirdest thing. Well, it's such a strange I mean, it's, decision. This whole idea of like re-editing uh, like a director's idea for what the film is into something that's PG-13, it really started with Sony last year by releasing... Um, what were some of the... There were some Seth Rogen comedies that they released they like re-released as pg-13 in theaters no 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 no. Oh. but like on on demand and stuff like that okay. where like you can actually buy the highly edited version of it where you're basically buying like the cable version yeah. of the movie where they just <laughs> dub over like a fuck with like a oh you sucking manimal like something like stupid like that like i used to watch um like growing up stuff on like movies on TBS or FX yeah, and like stuff like that. Up when, or, yeah. Yeah. And they have to just like clip out scenes, but then also to make some scenes make sense, they have to just dub over the voices with other stupid things that still don't really make sense, but gets them that rating, which I This sounds so dumb because it's stupid. One of the things that that made Deadpool two like uh I mean, I know that you weren't a fan, but I at least enjoyed it. I I I liked how it it was able to be raunchy you know it's it's the only superhero movie that can be like explicitly uh you know vulgar with its comedy yeah i mean that kind of eliminates like what i of course i've said before that i was not really a deadpool 2 fan at all but i mean one of the things that is enjoyable from it is the raunchiness and is the r rating there where they can go there with some of the jokes especially some of the visual gags and stuff like that like 
we're not gonna get any tiny penis or anything like that in this version so like why i just i i hated this idea whenever sony started doing this whole thing because i thought that it kind of violated what the director's visions are for these movies sometimes movies like stepbrothers are intended to be r-rated to unrated movies for the style of humor that they're going for and Deadpool 2, I think, is in that same vein where it's like, why? This movie already made a lot of money, so it's not like it's going to be getting exactly. a whole new fan base of, like, 10-year-old boys. And it's not, it's not like they need to make up lost uh, margins right. on the budget. Yeah, this movie, Deadpool 2 performed really yeah, well in the box it's office. so bizarre. Such a bizarre choice. I don't know. I, I, I feel like Disney might be behind this, but I, it might be too early for Disney to be making these types of decisions but the other side of this news is that on the same day where they announced this they pushed back dark phoenix to june so the trailer for dark phoenix phoenix dropped and in the trailer it says it's coming out february 14th valentine's day 2019 yeah. and then a couple days later they're like never mind we're push so now <laughs> that trailer is like wrong <laughs> and how many times have they changed the date for that movie? Oh, for Dark Phoenix? Yeah. Dude, they, they reshot like, a lot of yeah, that Yeah, they've, they've changed the date for that release so many times. I saw a really good um, shout-out to a, uh, a Twitter feed, uh, Les Cin- Le Cinephiles. Oh, that's a, that's a great Twitter. A great, like, satirical film Twitter page and everything. And they're like, Dark Phoenix has now rescheduled their film release to two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, that's basically what it is. Because, I mean, when this movie comes out, is anybody going to care at all? Like, is anybody excited for trailer? Dark Phoenix? No, but I don't care. The, it looks literally like they just recycled footage from all the other movies that have come out. It looks like, I don't know, the X-Men should be more interesting, you know? Do it you, should be. They have the most interesting story, arguably, of any Marvel. Yeah, the comics used to get so nuts, and even the the 90s tv series like i remember really really enjoying that series and these movies like there's been some really good entries but overall like they're all kind of the same sort of beats over and over again the same dynamics between professor x and magneto the same sort of thing and this just looks like the same again well i mean and the thing is is i really liked where x-men was going with especially with first class and even I really enjoy days of future past that movie gets that movie gets pretty convoluted and confusing at points, but I still think that's a really good X-Men movie. And I like this new bunch of younger people that they brought in there. And then with apocalypse, they just kind of went the full like X-Men three route where they just went for like way over the top action sequences that don't look good because they don't have, this isn't, an MCU film where they have a $250 million budget to make these <laughs> so movies. It's a little sad. So instead, Apocalypse looks like shit, and it, yeah. the action isn't well choreographed. Oscar Isaac, totally wasted. Yeah, like, it's just, and I don't, I just don't know. It feels like they're capitalizing on the wrong aspects of this franchise because Magneto is an extremely, extremely interesting villain. Like, I think that he's right up there with, like, him, Dr. Octopus, and maybe there's a couple others that aren't coming off the top of my head, but like those are the most interesting villains in the Marvel canon. But it feels like they're trying to like they're holding on to that 
too much as a crutch of just like, well, we have this compelling villain yeah. and he's already established, so we don't have to spend time establishing a villain Let's or anything like that. keep putting him in the woods, yeah. trying to go into hiding, <laughs> and then they keep bringing him back into the action. And it's like, yeah. It's just stupid. I just, I don't really care. I mean, I feel like all of these Fox movies right now, like, who they just want to sh- dump them out. Yeah, who gives a <laughs> shit about them? It's like they're trying to make some last-ditch effort to patch these incomplete movies together so that Fox can get just a little bit more money before all of their profits go to Disney anyways. So, But there is there is the notion that maybe they moved Dark Phoenix to June because they might think that it, it could turn out to be better than expected, and a June release date might make them more money than a february release date well i mean regardless on average you're going to make more money putting on a movie in the summer than in february yeah but the problem is i don't know off the top of my head what other movies are coming out june next summer um so uh event no avengers is going to be may spidey will be in july i think yeah. again so, so it'll be right between avengers and spider Man. yeah I, and i don't know what other kind of bigger releases are coming out so maybe they're just trying to capitalize on a little bit of that market for kids being out of school trying to put yeah. out a superhero film and the thing is though dark phoenix is one of the most popular storylines from the x-men comics like X-Men fans love that storyline, and they totally botched it in X-Men 3, where they kind of shoehorned that whole subplot into, like, the last 20 minutes of that movie. So devoting a whole movie to that could make a lot of fans really, really happy. And I think a lot of these actors are really talented, but for some reason... The, the the series hasn't been utilizing them to their fullest potential. I think First Class was the only movie that really banked off of McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, and Fassbender, like all three of them mm. really being into those roles. At this point, especially Jennifer Lawrence, like they're you can tell that they're just cashing a check. Yeah. Like they're not really Yeah, they don't give a shit. They're about not this. about it. I mean, we always like rip on DC, but really Fox were the first people to do this where they're just like constantly looking for the next reboot. The moment that one movie doesn't make as much money as they want, they're like, Oh, well time to reboot the franchise again. We gotta oh, we'll erase everything from X Men three. Okay, well now we're gonna erase everything from Days of Future Past because we established different timelines. And it's just like it's stupid. The thing that works about the MCU movies is that they do kind of all work together in some kind of a cohesive fashion to tell a linear story that you're watching. And with these movies, it's like, well, is this, which timeline does this tie into? Or is this a completely new timeline that we haven't seen before? And it's, it's just stupid. Well, to, to be fair, the comics are also like that. Well, yeah. So they're yes. kind of being, but that works for a comic yeah. storyline. It doesn't work so much for exactly. a cinematic medium. Exactly. To, as a last thought, I am, uh, I know that it's like really bad that Disney is going to have a full monopoly over these things, but it, it it may be for the best to be able to see what Kevin Feige does with these characters. Cause for all intents and purposes, like Marvel, the MCU has been really successful. You know, some movies are better than others. There's, there's some that are more successful than others, but I think it, it'll be really interesting to see like how all these Fox characters start to fold into that. Um, but we'll just have to, surrender to our corporate overlords to see that through let's uh it's speaking of uh surrendering to our corporate overlords how about surrendering to 
our demonic afterlife overlords with uh, NBC's The Good Place. There was a transition. <laughs> that was something that you got there. Um, so do you want to do like a brief little recap it's, of what we've It's so seen? tough to talk about this show without spoiling we, it. We have to kind of get straight into spoilers because yeah. for those of you who don't know, there is a major twist that happens in the first season, which kind of... The last episode of season which, one. Yeah, which totally... Uh, puts everything back into perspective that you'd watched in the first season and sets up our characters on an entirely new journey that we didn't know they were getting into. Um, so let's just go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this show is amazing. It's yeah. one of the best shows on TV. So catch it up on Netflix. It has the potential to be the best Michael Schur show. Yeah. It, it has does. that potential. It's not going to be... It's not, it's as... not going to have the rewatchability exactly. that's something that The Office or Parks and yeah. Rec does, but... In terms of, like, themes and concepts and ambition... Um, it's yeah, but it I feel like is. critically, this could be the best Michael Schur show. And I mean, let's just get right into yeah. spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, it yeah. go on Netflix seasons one and two. Uh, at the good place. And Hulu and has Hulu. all the new episodes on it and everything. So yeah, it's on Netflix and Hulu. I didn't even realize that Hulu yep. puts up the new episode yep, the, the day next after. Day. That's great. Um, so spoilers for the season three premiere of the good place. Let's get into it. Uh, it was an hour long premiere yep. or 40, 40 double episodes, 40 yeah. something minutes. Um, and I loved how it kind of, instead of like really picking up exactly where season two ends, um, you kind of backtrack a little bit. Yeah, you get a little bit of that recap. Yeah. And you see, perspective. yeah, you see like Ted Danson, Michael, like what he's been up to uh, in that year um, since. Uh, because basically what we what we saw happen in the final moments of season two was that our characters are returned to Earth and we follow Eleanor as she uh, survives. Her, her death is undone. She survives her death and we see a year in her life after that. Um, and then she meets Chidi a year later. And then that's kind of how season two ends. Now season three, we get that year from Michael's pers- perspective as he's sort of witnessing Eleanor like trying to be a better person and then falling back to her old habits and feeling like he needs to intervene to bring her back to that sense of uh, good ethics and morality and all that. So I thought that was great. And you get to backtrack with uh, from Chidi's per- perspective and then from Tahani and Jason's perspective as mm-hmm. well. So it's structurally, I thought it was brilliant. Um, and I just, I can't really think of anything that I didn't like about this episode. Like it's, it it really really seems like they just know exactly what story they're telling, yep. and they they have this plan. Um, it was a nice little surprise to see that they are in fact on Earth. It's not. It doesn't seem to be some sort of trick Mm-mm. or simulation, or like they're gonna pull out another fucking twist out from from under us. So it really does seem like they reset the the timeline of reality somehow so that's that was a cool cool thing but what what did you think of it yeah i mean i i agree with you i think that um where you can complain about this episode for it leaving something to be desired as far as like it being a little bit too meticulous with the plot and everything i mean this was a setup episode like that's how the first two seasons were the first episode first two episodes they're used to kind of set the stage for 
the story that we're going to tell in that entire season. I thought that this did a good job. I mean, we end with all of our characters coming back together, everything else. Um, and, and and with an extra twist, Mr. Adam Scott, Trevor coming back. Oh, that was a great. That great was a moment. great, great ending. This this show really knows how to pack a punch at the end and giving you that little bit. Just that little moment right there at the yeah. end where you're like, oh, fuck, for now second, I got to wait for a week. For a second, I thought it would be uh, Jason Manzoukas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I was I was really happy to see Adam Scott. Yeah, I we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, since, well, I guess, was it season one? No, it was two. I He showed up at one? the end of season one. Okay, I think you're right. I, think I don't think right, he yeah. was in season two. If he was, he was in a very early episode of season two. But Now that you mention that, I don't think he was in season yeah. two. So it's it's been a little while, and we didn't. I didn't think we were going to see him again. No, so, yeah, I was, thought he was just a one-off character, but yeah. it's great how this show is coming together, and I'm really interested to see. Like I've just gotten really invested in the Michael storyline, which, I mean, I was... I was interested in Michael as a character, mostly because of Ted Danson's performance. Yeah, but now Any it's like nominated performance. Yeah, because now they're giving his character a lot to do for somebody who's a demonic overlord, which is not something that I was anticipating at all. But now I love yeah. the way that they've gone with his character. Now he's trying to break Maya Rudolph's the judges' rules and everything else by interfering with their lives because he is genuinely like a nice person and does want to help them. Um, a nice. Not person. Nice demon. Entity. Yeah, nice demonic <laughs> entity with his antimatter drink. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is, uh, what's the name of his boss? Um, I'm blanking on his name. His um, demon boss. Oh, that guy. That's a good actor. Yeah, he's, he's a good really good. Actor. Yeah, he shows up in like I think, a few different TV shows and stuff like, like that. Brian? I know he's been Parks and Rec before. And yeah, I think that his name might be Brian. I think he might be in Always Sunny as well. Um. Yeah, he showed. He actually just showed up in one episode on Better Call Saul. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. No, he's a really. I I love everything happening with him in his office, where he's just putting people in cocoons. Yeah, they <laughs> look like great. they look like the that Pokemon. Yeah, meta, they look like Metapod. 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 <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I just. I really love this show. I'm just so happy that this show is back. Like it. it I didn't think that they'd be able to meet uh season one the highs of that show but then season two just surpassed my expectations so i'm just and now yeah now this i'm one... just on board for the ride i love everything about where the show is going it's like you've said like you could tell that this seems like a show that michael sure has had in his back pocket that he was waiting to get established until somebody would just be like here's the key to the car you can do whatever you want because and probably perfecting it in his mind yeah perfecting it as he went along um of course, finding great actors to work with along right. the way. When I mean, Kristen Bell got her start. Well, not her start, but started working with him on um, Parks and Recreation. So he is now able to use this influence into not telling a story that is the classic NBC level where it's like, oh, well, somebody, if this is just casually on at four in the afternoon on a Thursday, people have to be able to tune in and watch it. This is very much a linear storyline and this isn't something yeah. that you can just flip on halfway through season two like imagine if the first episode of the show you watched was the second episode of season two when there's <laughs> jumping through timelines if you were like a 55 year old white mom you'd just be like what the yeah. fuck am i watching or you decide to tune in for the season three premiere and it's like chapter 27 yeah, you're like, yeah. Uh. yeah i love that they have chapter numbers like yeah. it's so cool yeah um <laughs> I uh, yeah, I can't wait to keep talking about this season. I'm excited for it. I thought are they this... gonna break this season in half like they did season two? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get the first half 
in the fall and then the second half in the spring. Um, so yeah, that's interesting because when it, when we do our best of the year, we're gonna have to do two and a half and or well, like second half, half of season two and then first half of season exactly, three together. Exactly. And like, I mean, I think that's what we did last year, and it made my list. And it'll probably make my list again this year if this oh, season doesn't sure. disappoint. So I don't, I don't see it disappointing. I don't think it will either. Michael yeah. Sure has already proven that he is a genius of the TV medium. And I just can't wait to see where it goes. It's funny now that you look through his career where The Office is very much a show. Like, there's a little bit of overlying, like, character arches and stuff like that. But really, it's just every episode is its own thing. Parks and Rec is still more on the Office side, but it starts to get a little bit more linear, especially with character, um, their relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. And... um, then of course Brooklyn Nine Nine is also a little bit more like The Office. It's Parks yeah, it's, and Rec. it's so Brooklyn Nine Nine is so zany. Yeah, it's just like joke, 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 joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's something where you can just pick up in just a random yeah. episode or something like that. But it seems like he's kind of been making this gradual shift towards telling a grand story. And I, I'm interested to see how long the season goes because you know that Michael Sure knows you how mean long the series or the series. Yeah, yeah. like what, what do we think? Like five seasons? Yeah. I it could feels see that. like about it feels like we're kind of near in like the halfway mark of this story. Yeah. Yeah. I I am so interested to see how far they can take this. Yeah. Because, you know, we we had uh I think season two is just so brilliant what they did there with them just not only uh going through all of these basically loops of um simulations of this good quote unquote good place that's not actually the good place and then journeying into the bad place and actually being able to see that like I felt like that was such a sprawling storyline for season two that with this with season three I don't see it just being a story about them on earth the whole time no I mean this show has gone deeper and deeper into a wormhole we've been watching and I feel like I'm like keeping my guard up because despite the fact that it seems like ah it's much more reserved we're back on earth now I don't believe anything that we're seeing, especially now that Trevor is back in the mix. I'm just ready oh, for wait. things to all go to hell. <laughs> like I'm just ready for. And things. I can't wait to see what other uh, cool guest stars. They yeah, bring no, in. this this show nails it with its guest stars. I mean, we even talk about the guy who plays the doorman. Um, yeah, he's who is that he's guy? great. Uh, I I don't know the actor's name, but he always just shows up in Mike stuff. Mike O'Malley. Mike O'Malley. Yeah, yeah. He always just shows up in stuff and always kills it. So yeah. And by the way, the uh, Michael's boss is named. Sean a oh, Sean that's what it is yeah. yeah and the actor's name is Mark Evan Jackson and he's been a good TV character <clears throat> actor oh my god he has so many TV credits yeah. <laughs> holy crap he was in the league you're the worst adventure time comedy bang bang man seeking woman all over the place yeah 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 I forgot he was a man seeking woman um right okay well um we'll keep talking about this as the season goes on I have one last thing to talk about before a review, and that is I rewatched Whiplash, the debut from Mr. Oh, it's not the debut. I think it's the second film. It's from the second. He made, um, uh, what's it? That movie about Trumpets? Saturday in the Park or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is his first like major studio film. Um, Acclaimed. Film. What's. What, What's your thought on this movie? Because I think that it is perfect. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I, I I remember when we first discovered it about 
It's been out, what, five? No. We we were four. watching this, yeah, Three this years. was a few years ago. You were just like, oh, yeah, I want to put on this little movie you haven't seen before, Whiplash. I think by the end of it, we were all, like, nails clenched into yeah. the couch as we're watching it. Like, this is the most intense thing I've ever seen in my life. And we were, we were like, addicted to it. Oh, and we also, watched it over and over. He he technically also directed that movie with, um, um, uh, not Topher Grace, uh, the piano movie. Okay, let's see. Um, we got we got he he has something called piano. Ca- a guy and Madeline on a park. That's bench. what it is. Yeah, and then then Whiplash, the short which he had to finance, uh, we, which he used to finance the uh, feature length. But then it turns out that he only made Whiplash to finance La La Land. Yeah, because he he knew that he couldn't just walk into a executive's office in Hollywood and make and get La La. La La Land made so he made Whiplash to get La La Land made but I think Whiplash is actually a better movie than La La Land yeah I I completely agree with you I I really I love La La Land that movie got a lot of shit especially like in that year that came out because it it fell became, into this binary it, this binary of yeah. Moonlight or La La Land which so I think dumb. both of them are great movies I actually prefer La La Land to Moonlight um hot take because you know I don't like. Uh, You're a Patriots fan, so yeah. You know I don't like I don't like black people in my movies. Yeah, I don't. I like them on my football field, and <laughs> I don't not like gay knee, people. Not on their knees. Not on their knees. <laughs> Get out of here, Colin Kaepernick. No, but I I do love both of those movies. But yeah, no, I mean I I agree with you. I think that Whiplash is a masterwork of tension. Oh, like yeah. I have never seen a film that has made me like openly sweat the way that Whiplash does. And I've seen that movie more than a dozen times at this point. I've probably seen that movie well over 20 times. Yeah, I'm, I'm hooked on it again. Cause I was off of it for a while. Now I saw it this week and I think I'm just gonna, I'm like, I'm like, I have the shakes a little bit. I, I gotta listen <laughs> you to the soundtrack about or something. Oh, that soundtrack is so good. <laughs> yeah. But I, I uh, I saw it with my girlfriend, uh, and she saw it for the first time, and it was just a really nice experience to to be able to show her the movie. Um, she loved it. After thinking about it for a while, she was like, "Damn, that was actually a really good movie." And <laughs> I uh, I don't know that I I always pick up tiny little things in it every time I watch it. Like this time around, I never noticed that when you first meet um, Neiman's dad, Mister mm-hmm. Neiman. When you first meet him in that movie theater, someone bumps into him with the popcorn on the back of his head and he apologizes. Yeah. And it's like it's just such a small character moment to show you like that this guy is kind of this He's a beta. He, like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's never been able to assert himself in any meaningful way to the point that like it, it it's 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 that line that J.K. Simmons says where he kind of blows up and uh the I'm upset scene yeah. where he's like, uh, your mommy ran out when, dad, when she found out daddy wasn't uh, Gene O'Neill or some <laughs> shit. Um, and that scene, all of the scenes in the practice room are some of my favorites because it, it's just shot like perfectly. This whole movie is pretty much shot perfectly. But the, the specifically the scenes in the practice room just have this like beautiful golden look to it of the the brass Mm -hmm. instruments reflecting off of everything and it's just it's such a warm um nice toned uh set uh but the energy is so tense and the uh the presence of jk simmons of 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 fletcher in there it's like 
the this the shot where he walks in for the first time at like nine o'clock on the dot as soon as the the second hand strikes twelve and you see everybody just door. sit up in their seats like right away immediately <laughs> completely silent um and revisiting it I think one of the the biggest takeaways that I get from it is that one of the one of the biggest questions you've got to ask yourself while watching this movie is how crucial is it to understand the trauma that 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 this guy is inflicting on people because he is truly like abusing his students mm-hmm. like yelling at them sh- throwing shit at them like physically and verbally assaulting people that he should be caring for you know, a teacher should be caring for them. But then he has this monologue towards the end of the film where he explains that, like, people didn't understand what he was doing. That, you know, he has that line where he's like, my job wasn't to be a conductor because any idiot can wave a baton around. My job was to push people beyond what's expected of them. And you have to you have to try to balance, like, understanding what that trauma is because you you have the the subplot of the tiny little uh, moment of the uh, the student who hung himself, mm. and then you balance that with Fletcher like kind of having this really genuine heartfelt moment where he is sad that he lost his job because he was misunderstood. No, yeah, I mean you're you're exactly right. I mean in that monologue he says like the most harmful words phrase in the human language is good job. Yeah. That's the because, movie right there. And that, yeah. I mean, and that's a moment where you, a person who you've kind of grown to hate throughout this film, uh, you genuinely get sympathy for because you understand what he's doing. Even if he's going way over the line, he's trying to push them like nobody else will. That's the reason why there is no miles Davis in today's society. It's because, there's nobody else that's out there that's willing to push these people to be the best that they could be. And I just, I, this is really like one of my favorite movies of all time. It really like, is. I, I really put this in like my top five films ever. Like I really yeah. think that this movie is absolutely perfect in every way, shape and form the way that shot, like how you said, like the juxtaposition between these warm, brassy bronze color schemes very that you welcoming. have there was very welcoming. And then you just have JK Simmons delivering the best performance of his life yeah. as he won an Oscar for it. Yeah, no, I mean, he is <laughs> unbelievable in those scenes and so menacing. It makes you want to like cower in your seat, just watching it. And to see that, I mean, with the soundtrack, everything about this movie, the editing is uh, yeah. unbelievable in this film. Like Masterclass in editing. This is one of those things, because usually, like, if you're just an average moviegoer, I feel like you don't ever notice editing. You can watch this movie and notice how perfectly edited the it close-ups is. The close-ups of the instruments, of the sheet music. The instruments, and then there's that one shot, of or that one scene... Um, with uh, Neiman just going so fucking hard the drums to the point where he's like just bleeding profusely from yeah. his hands and he sticks the hand into the ice water oh, and everything. Like, it's <laughs> Also, um, spoilers if, if you're listening without um, having seen Go the see film. this movie. This movie is perfect. But the shot where the truck hits him in the car, every time I watch that, I'm like, how? Ugh. 
how did they do that? Because that does not look like CGI. No. That looks practical. And it looks like fucking Miles Teller, too. Like, I know it's probably not him. It's got to be a stunt person. But the way it's executed, the way it's cut together, it's seamless. It's seamless because I think, if I remember correctly, I think it goes from the phone to the speedometer to the shot of the truck hitting yeah, him. Yeah, to like, like that quick, side quick, shot. Quick. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so effective. And it works so well because you're in this mode of him like trying to speed in order to get yeah. there in time and everything else. And you feel the tension. It's like you're in a chase scene or something like that. Like you're just like, we have to get there on time. Yeah. But and- w- one thing that I do want to mention for sure is going back to that <clears throat> that moment in the jazz club where they sit down and have that conversation. Um, that scene perfectly sets up the ending of the movie. Because the ending of this movie is fucking phenomenal. It is fucking phenomenal. This movie ends on the climax. Yeah. There is no falling action or anything yeah. like that. That like whole this. final scene is is impeccable. But it's set up perfectly in that talk. Because uh, Fletcher says that, or he doesn't say it, but he heavily implies that what he was trying to do is have his own uh, prodigy. Like his own... Um, uh, Joe jo- or not Joe Jones, but Charlie. Um, um, Charles. God damn it! Char- I forgot. Uh, Charlie. Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker. Yeah, yeah he was. he wanted to have his own Charlie Parker, and you see it in his eyes that him being kicked out of uh, out of the conservatory is this defeat, this moment of defeat that he never had his golden student who would go on and be one of the greats. That he wanted that for himself. So when you get to the ending of this movie and that fucking look that they give each other, the final shots of these of this movie, you see that it's not just Neiman that is not that is has become great. It's that Fletcher has his guy. They pushed him. And then I mean, and right before that even happens, we have him going out there and then just getting utterly humiliated. Yeah. Him just calling him out, giving him a song that he had no idea what it was, yeah. and then just going up there and just being like, you're fucking done. You are done. Well, no, he says, and, right right before the song starts, he says, uh, you, think I'm, like a, you think I'm stupid? Yeah. I know it was you. And you know it's, then you know it's like, oh, fuck. Like, he's, <laughs> he's about to get fucked. Because um, the you're done, Neiman, is after the car accident. Oh yeah, when okay. He plays yeah, yeah, you're right. like concussed as fuck. <laughs> uh, but I, I kind of before we wrap wrap it up, I kind of want to have a little um, mini talk about what you think it happens after the ending of the movie because the the movie ends in this really kind of triumphant moment where he has this epic motherfucking solo and it's like yeah hell yeah, but part of me thinks that it's kind of bittersweet that even though he was basically abused by this teacher and there were consequences for it and this other kid killed himself because of the way he was treated by Fletcher it's not it doesn't there's this there's a part of me that feels like everything's not okay and everything hasn't been completely resolved and even though he did have this amazing solo that's not a guarantee that he's just automatically going to be this, uh, 
you know, legendary drummer. No, and I mean, if anything, I do think that things would work out more okay for Neiman than it would for Fletcher because Fletcher is like, he's just like going around with like a studio band or something. Like he's not at the conservatory anymore. He's not going to get his job back after all the allegations that came out against him. If anything, maybe Neiman would get the confidence to try and start drumming again. But I think that you're right. It's one of those things where like, a lot of musicians and actors uh, have talked about before and said, like, you know, they have all this kind of personal stuff going on in their life to the point where they just don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. But then they go up there on stage and the spotlight is on them and then they just get in the zone and nothing else matters. And I feel like that's what you see in that moment is that despite all of this pure hatred that they have for each other, there is this level of mutual respect. And when they get up there on stage and Neiman plays that fantastic drum solo and we get that moment that is a little bit of a consolation because we know that that's that's not just how it works out and i feel like in a movie perfect fairy tale ending then they do all they do both work together and be happy and successful but everything that we've seen of fletcher up to that point is says that that's not how this is going to work out and I think that you're right. I, I don't think that they just necessarily have a happy ending. I think that it was just one of those things where they just got up there and Neiman just got so in the zone and Fletcher recognized it and just let him fucking go with and it. And you get the shot of the dad looking like completely bewildered. Yeah. Like it's not even it's not the classic like dad like, oh, I'm so proud of you shot. It's like he is genuinely like jaw dropped. Yeah. Like, like wow. I like to the point of like I didn't know my son was capable of yeah. this. I didn't even I as father didn't recognize he had this much potential. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the girlfriend who you know <laughs> this is the one greatest thing, love story ever. <laughs> this is the one the one thing uh, I will seed about this movie not being perfect is that the the female character is only present to uh, serve the the arc of the male character. But the actress that plays her is great. And she I kills it. She has two scenes and she's amazing in both of them. And honestly, I kind of, I mean, people have ragged on this movie as a complaint for it. But I think that that move, that that works completely to the film's uh, benefit is that they have this whole side love story interest, which in most other movies, she would just be brought along and be dragged with this guy, like into the fame. She might be like holding him back or something. And then he has to make this decision about what's more important in his life. Instead, like halfway through the movie, he's just like, you're not as important as what I want to be. So bye. And like, it's the most brutally honest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. She literally is just like, fuck you. You're a piece of shit. And, it's it's beautiful in the most sick and twisted kind of way in that any other me- I feel like it's more degrading to have this character who's just tags dad this female interest who just tags along through the fame but instead this movie makes something very clear that I mean this is realistic in that a lot of times people are so self-obsessed with greatness that they don't care about any kind of love interest that they have when they're 20 years old, they are trying to be great and they're not going to let anything stand in their way from being great. Yeah. And, and she's even like, you know, for a fact that I would stop you from being great. You know that. And he's like, yeah. And it's like, dude, like, come on. I mean, he's a piece of shit about it. Miles Teller is also kind of a dick, but (laughs) and then, Oh, of course he is. Yeah. Which is why I kind of feel like him and Fletcher are kind of, they're kind of perfect perfect for each each other. other. Yeah. Because, 
he even feels bad about doing that to her, you know, because he uh, he tries to reach out to her yeah. after the accident. He's like, yeah, I have this show coming up. Do you oh, want to come and check uh, it out? I don't know if my boyfriend really likes yeah. jazz music. Which is totally, she doesn't have a boyfriend. Yeah. She just wants to her uh, him to leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I... I actually, I love that scene. And, like, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, we don't just have, like, just the generic love interest tagging she along She shows all up this. at the last second. She's like, whoa. Yeah, no, I thank God. I'm just so glad that this movie focused on being what it was because otherwise that would be a huge knock for me. But it, like, it nipped that shit in the bud right away. And I understand a lot of people hitting it because there aren't really any other women in this movie. Like Neiman's mom isn't even involved in the picture. So there's there's the one lady at the dinner table with the, with the football. Yeah. uh, There's really no women. Whatever that scene is. The quips in this movie are fucking genius. (laughs) (laughs) When, when Fletcher like walks up to the, to the group and he's like, listen up cocksuckers. Everything that Fletcher says, but even that whole dinner scene between them, he's just like, oh, yeah, what do you do, Nimi? He's just like, oh, yeah, you got a touchdown for Division Three football. <laughs> it's just, it's so great. Like, it's so, so good. And then the dude's like, oh, you think you think you could play football? Come play with us. And Neiman's like, that's wor- um, three words you'll never hear from the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. It's so, so good. Yeah. Like, the screenplay of this movie is so tight. This movie has no goddamn fat on it whatsoever. Which I think is that's why, why I love it. it yeah, is exactly. that it, much like the best, like, musical pieces, there is no fat at all. Every piece that you see there every has frame, serves a every purpose. Every shot. Like, that's why I think this movie is perfect, is there is not a single wasted scene. There's nothing, there's no scene that you could trim out of this movie. It is perfectly tight in the way that is. And it all builds and it's all centered around characters and the tension between the characters and the conflict presented and the motivations behind them. There's no deviation into anything unnecessary. Yeah, I I really want to... I mean, I've seen this movie so many times, but I really want to rewatch this movie and La La Land before we see First Man. Yeah, Um, First Man. Especially because... we're kind of we're kind peek. of we're kind of big shots on We Bought a Mic. I'm not allowed to talk about this. I don't. Really. I we might I might get sued just yeah. for saying this, but we have a screener to go see First Man tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. So by the time this is posted, we're going to be like getting ready to go see First Man. Yeah. So, but I mean, we won't talk about it, of course, until uh, Drew, Drew. If if he you know comes back to us, he might be dead for good. But. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks whenever First Man comes out. Before then, I really want to revisit uh, both these films. and Maybe we can just, find a way to watch um, the, his other film, Guy and, and Madeline on a Park Bench. I don't yeah, know where we'd I, be able to find I know that. He didn't direct Grand Piano, but he wrote it. And that movie is also extremely tense. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen or heard that movie before. No. Basically, the whole, Wood. Yeah, the whole premise is Elijah Wood is this piano player, and there's a bomb underneath the theater. And if he plays one single wrong note or misses a note, then the bomb goes off. It's a great It's premise. a great premise. It's a genius yeah. premise. And you see it, and you're like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. It's a Damien Chazelle project. Did you know he has um, writing credit on Ten Cloverfield Lane? Yeah, he came in there and did a little bit of before it was a Cloverfield. Before it was a Cloverfield project, yeah. Yeah. And that movie makes sense with how tense the like first two acts of that movie are. They are so filled with tension, and that is the thing that Damien Chazelle has mastered. Whenever he first it was first announced he was doing a biopic, I was kind of hesitant. 
But if he's going to do something, I think a Neil Armstrong is kind of perfect for him. Like he And everything we've seen from it looks gorgeous. His style lends perfectly to the tension that involves being in a space mission, especially the first mission to the moon. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see Which, that film. by the way, did you want to talk about your prediction for the ending? Of yeah, first so um, I have a prediction. Um, this Calling actually, this might be... I. This podcast might be shut down if this turns out to be true, which I have some insider info that it will be true. So first man ends. Ryan Gosling takes one step on the moon. His foot plants on the ground, and then the camera slowly pans out, zooms out, zooms out. And we realize this is all in a soundstage. And the camera slowly, meticulously pans over, and we see CGI Stanley Kubrick. And he looks at the camera smiles and he says cut that's a wrap and then it cuts to black and if that happens i will i i this will be the greatest movie of all time you're probably I don't gonna care have to go into happens. hiding too yeah i might actually yeah, so i'm gonna be no longer on this podcast yeah, if, if that happens if you're missing next week then then we'll yeah, know we'll we're, know we're that's gonna have what to happens give some fake or lady alibi. gaga would have stolen me away with her uh falling into the deep end Ooh, we. all right well let's take a break and we get back we're talking mandy we'll be right back giant wasp looking Amazonian looking thing. Oh, you took a Cosmatos. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You only take a Cosmatos. And, uh, Did everything I, turn red? Like, literally everything it was turned like, red? It was like pulsating purples and pinks. And, uh, then some sort of, like, lizard biker gang showed up and burned me alive. Did they look like shit? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I was in a bag, so I couldn't really, I couldn't really, uh, couldn't really tell them apart. But I was, I was tripping balls, dude. I was tripping balls. Are you sure that you were tripping balls and you didn't just see uh, the latest Panos Cosmatos film, Mandy? Mandy. So let's let's get into this movie. Uh, Mandy is directed by Panos Cosmatos and stars Nicolas Cage. Also, it's produced by Elijah Wood. Yeah. Executive yeah. produced. It's a little strange. Odd choice for him to EP this one, but, you know, I guess he's trying to get out there and everything. Um, so I was I was incorrect. Whenever we watched this movie, we watched this movie together, and I thought that this was his first film, but 
It's a he second made, film. Um, what was it? The Black Rainbow. Uh, Black Rainbow. That's not it. That's that's a Coheed and Cambria album. Beyond the Black Rainbow. So, well, now that you mention it, Coheed album. This movie, Mandy, gave me a lot of Coheed vibes. Oh, did it? That sounds like an insult to Coheed and Cambria. <laughs> I don't know, dude. A lot of people are really digging this movie. Like, this is that's why we saw it because it was getting a lot of acclaim on film Twitter and it has like a 90 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So, clearly, people are really digging this movie. And I was, I was actually pretty excited to check it out because just based on the poster, it looks like an insane acid trip sort of like B movie, gore, like ultra violent gory fucking uh slasher yeah this movie. i never saw this poster before this poster is fucking wild no <laughs> you're looking you're looking at, at at a different one than i'm than the one i'm talking about the one i'm talking about looks like a coheed and cambria album <laughs> oh god oh my god yeah it does yeah. holy shit yeah it's like some sort of triangle Just nicholas cage with like a fucking chainsaw strapped on his back and yeah so Let's let's kind of give some overall thoughts before we really dissect this movie and and kind of kind of get into it. So, I I didn't really want to go into this with huge expectations. I was mainly just curious as to why it was getting so much buzz and why so many people online were talking about this pretty much like random movie. You know, there was no a really VOD buzz. movie. Like yeah. it's a very, very limited release in theaters. It was but... like in only New York and LA in theaters and then immediately got put on streaming um uh, we, we we got it on Google Play. Um rented it for ninety nine cents. So I don't feel like Shout I, out to Google Play. Yeah, I don't think like I really wasted too much. Um but it premiered at Sundance and it kinda got a little buzz out of there. Um, I mean, some people are saying that this is like a visual marvel, and people are calling this like one of the best movies of the year. A lot of the shots are are beautiful. A lot of the cinematography in this movie, I think, is really, really well done. Uh, there's some there's some brilliant like set design and lighting work in this movie, and I think a a lot of time was put into certain sequences to make them look absolutely gorgeous. There's even some uh, animated sequences mm-hmm. in this movie that I, I think are kind of unnecessary, but they're still like very well done. Yeah, they and don't they really serve to of, advance the plot in any but, kind of important but the, way. But The artists put a lot of good of yeah. work into them. They look really good. Um, but yeah, I, I went into this movie just mainly curious. It, it's the final um, score from Johan Johansson. Ugh. And I think that's one of the standout aspects of the movie. I think between the cinematography and the score, those two things working in tandem keep this movie from being like an incoherent mess. I think that those uh, and of course, Nicolas Cage, he he gets one scene in particular where he really Mm -hmm. gets the cage out. Um, But other than that, like. The, there's not that much going on in this movie that I really cared for. There's there's certain things that are like truly brilliant and very very impressive, and I admire a lot of the choices that were made in terms of like just how fucking 
uh, out there this movie is. It's almost like a fantasy movie. You mm-hmm. know, there's like this demon biker gang that is summoned with a magic conch looking thing. Yeah. Like it looks like like a fucking ocarina or something. Like exactly, it's- <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and Nick Cage uh, smelts his. He has like a blacksmithing sequence where he <laughs> smelts his own homemade axe. So there's certain things in here, and oh, and the the LSD chemist who can yeah. somehow like read his mind. Um, so it, it doesn't all come to co- uh, together very cohesively. And also, I, I'm I I gotta say this movie is way too long. It's two hours, but it yeah. fucking drags. Yeah, it drags, especially because it really the title Mandy only comes up at like the halfway point. Yeah, and you know we watched this <laughs> together, and it came up, and now and we were like, oh, so now the movie now started. the movie is starting. Yeah. Okay, so the first part's like a prequel. Yeah, or but something. it's like it's like the shadow. Um, I had it pulled up. It's like the Shadow Mountains is the first part, and the second part is like the children of. I don't I don't know where it, where it was. It's the children of something. Um but it, you basically get three titles. It's like the Shadow Mountains, then the children which is basically like this cult, this acid cult, and then Mandy. So the first half of this movie is this kind of really quiet uh just drawn out like art house movie. And then the second half kicks off with like this really uh i don't know gruesome sequence that will get it becomes into. a rob zombie film and then forward. it completely changes and then it turns into like the movie that i was kind of expecting um but we'll we'll get into all of those details and spoilers so tell me what what your your overall thoughts are um overall i thought this movie was interesting um it's very in quote in heavy heavy quotations cool um yeah, it's sick it's dude it's fucking sick nasty um i thought that like you said some of the aspects work some of the does not work at all um they do some really cool stylistic have some really cool stylistic choices that work some of the time some of the times i admired it some of the times i did not it seemed like um this sounds like an insult, but I don't necessarily mean it as an insult, but it's a guy who watched like one too many David Lynch films and was like, I can do this. <laughs> and there's a reason why there's only one David Lynch. Um, I usually am all for movies that completely lack any kind of exposition and just make things as abstract as possible and make you put the pieces yeah, together. In this movie, I was kind of begging for like some more exposition something. to know something was happening, <laughs> but... Instead, every actor talks like this. And that's like pretty much like two thirds of this movie, which was sometimes it makes sense because they're on drugs. Yeah, but it was like painting to watch at certain points. Um, Like I said, like some scenes I think do work really well. I kind of wish Drew was here for this because I feel like Drew would have absolutely despised this movie. Yeah, he would have torn it apart. He would have turned this movie off immediately. Like, you know, I kind of for the first half, I kind of felt like it was it was going to totally lose me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it just takes so long to get into. But that's that's the thing where I don't really know where this movie could have fixed itself to be honest because i admire certain parts of the first half more than the second half where it becomes just a gore bloodbath but i found 
the second half to be more entertaining than the first half. So I don't really know what I would have preferred from this movie. I do wish that it was more cohesive in its tone. And we'll get into that, that this movie is very much all over the place. That's why maybe, I thought maybe that they could have uh, cut it together better. Yeah. I mean, it could, I mean, there are definitely the whole scenes that could have been cut out. Uh, there's some scenes that are really choreographed really poorly. Um, Especially like at things the end. That, yeah. Things that on paper you're like, Oh my God, that sounds fucking incredible. Hell yeah. And then, and Actuality and practice, it doesn't really work that great. Probably because the budget was low. I mean, I'm sure that this movie had, like, no budget, but still feels like it could have been choreographed a little bit better. Um, This, I, overall, I didn't dislike this movie. Um, I thought that it, I mean, it's the definition of style over substance. Um, And sometimes I think that style over substance in the best kind of way. Other times, I was begging for some kind of a substance there's a character that shows up in here that basically explains to Nicolas cage everything that's been happening so far in the, the film. chemist no 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 not the chemist uh whenever he goes to the uh trailer oh the guy that gives crossbow, him the crossbow yeah. and it was like at first an I hour was, and a half into at this first movie. i was annoyed and i was just like oh now we're getting exposition that was just like wait the movie is actually starting to make sense now can we get more of that guy can that guy come back again and tell me what the fuck i'm watching um yeah i can't really talk about anything really in specifics with this movie without getting into spoilers nick cage is great nick cage is awesome he goes full cage some points i wanted the more cage yeah to be honest which yeah. isn't necessarily something that i was going and expecting to say but i really wanted some more cage um but when he does go full cage it's I beautiful thought, i thought the rest of the acting was okay to not very good um his love interest mandy was eh. Like, I get what they were going for is trying to make her very, like, flat. But I think that just kind of made the character not interesting. I thought that the motive, like, the characters themselves of these uh, sadistic, drug-infused uh, church hippie people, like, the I thought cult. the cult were, I thought they were actually interesting. Um, I'm interested to know whether or not you actually like the main guy, uh, Jeremiah's acting. Uh, yeah, t- that's he uh, it's goes Thomas. Pretty Thomas over Wayne. the top, and he does this thing. He's Thomas Wayne in, in Batman lot. Begins. Yeah, <laughs> Linus Roach. That's his name. He hasn't really done too much, but I thought he was fine. I didn't really think he did a bad job. I just thought that you know he's playing this drugged out dude. Um, but I really want to get into the the big scene where he like. <laughs> He fucking puts on this album that he made himself. It's it's really ridiculous. But uh yeah, I I think we we both agree that this movie is not anything too amazing, but there is a lot to kind of appreciate in terms miss, of originality. I don't I I do find it original and I didn't find it entirely pretentious uh like I do with like the uh, whenever we first started watching it the first time I was like, "All right, this movie is writing a very fine line between uh, just falling straight into a Terrence Malick film. And I was like kind of prepared for it to just be over the top pretentiousness and just like, man, look at all these pretty colors and pretty images. Oh, what is that? Like a dead aborted deer fetus? Like what's going on here? And I was not really uh, feeling it. And then it kind of won me back a little bit over it. Like I said, I don't really find this pretentious. I just don't think that, the originality always came through in the best possible way. I I think that, again, what saves this movie from being a failure is the uh, the some of the set construction and the lighting of these sets and the cinematography that they do. 
um, and a lot of like the practical gore. And yep. Nick Cage, I think, does a really good job. And again, Johan Johansson's score in this, I think, is great. And I yeah, it's it sounds it's so industrial and synthetic. It sounds like it could have been like in Blade Runner twenty forty nine or exactly. something like that. Like that was the with, vibes that I was getting from watching with it. a little bit of like a fantastical tone to it. Yeah, they they kind of make it seem like this is some sort of otherworldly reality that we're seeing here. Um, if if I were to rate it, I'd probably give it like a light seven to a strong six. I think yeah. if if we didn't have the beautiful cinematography and the great score from Johan Johansson and Nick Cage in this movie, I think this would be like pretty unwatchable. Yeah. Oh no, I completely agree because that's what the holds actual it up for the me. actual story itself is a hot mess. Yeah. And there are certain aspects that do rise up. I'm kind of on the same page with you. I'd give it like a six, maybe a seven, if I was just like high off my ass or something whenever we watched it i feel like this is like the movie this and i've heard the same thing about his first movie that he made where it's just like man this is just a great movie just like fucking smoke a joint and watch on netflix and i feel like that's where this movie will find a home is from people which might be kind of an insult to the director himself because i don't think that's what he wanted was for this maybe he did maybe he did i mean i I don't know if panos uh if he blazes or not but (laughs) i i I think that that's where this movie will find a home. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I don't I don't really recommend it. It's, I would recommend I would recommend it. it to certain people. This is a movie I can hold. Yeah. I can't wholeheartedly recommend, but I mean, like for um, pay ninety nine cents for something it. Uh, gives me an idea that the person who wrote it, this stranger Colin, who I've never met before, who wrote into the podcast, it makes me feel like he would might enjoy this. Yeah, yeah. If you're a pretentious asshole, you'll probably like this movie. <laughs> exactly. Uh yeah, if you're a cinephile, if you yeah, if you say I don't watch movies, I watch films, then this is this is the 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 piece for you. Yeah. All right, let's let's get into spoilers for Mandy, 2018, directed by Panos Cosmatos. Um, so this movie is kind of split into it. It's three parts, but it's really just two. I yeah. think it's two halves. The first half is this really slow, drawn out setup that leads all the way to the moment where the cult murders Mandy, burns her alive. Which also, um, so in like the plot, in the very, very basic plot descriptions... It they says say they spoil that. They, it says that Mandy is killed and he goes on this vengeance hunt. In that the takes, IMBD. That takes yeah. half of the movie to get exactly. to. Exactly. That's the problem, is that the first half of this movie is so goddamn slow and methodical and also the the inciting incident of this cult deciding that they're going to <laughs> uh bring mandy as as part of their own is so random they're just driving yeah, they drove by. past her and he and she happened to look up at yeah, this guy they who just was a see fucking her. cult leader yeah they just see her and he's like oh we need her so what <laughs> bring her to what's me exactly is going on with this cult they're like heavily christian but this dude is like also like jesus this guy know. who they're with? I don't fucking know. I it's, like it's I honestly did not care. I don't <laughs> care either. Like it's I get that that's not what the movie's going for, but then I was still trying to kind of put the puzzle pieces together, all figure I out got, what kind of a statement it was trying all, to make or whatever. All I got is that they have a magic conch ocarina that summons biker lizard demons <laughs> and that Which do not look good. And that they do so many drugs. Which, by the way, the scene before she's burned alive, when she is forced to trip out 
and partake in this cult drug sexual weird it, they're not it's not an orgy but he like takes all his clothes off <laughs> and then just starts like jacking off like looking at her and yeah. shit oh, that was so weird but i mean before that we just get the camera just like sitting on his face while he's yeah. giving this long well, monologue. well first he puts After on her- this album he puts on this vinyl and he's like do you like the carpenters <laughs> And then he doesn't even play the Carpenters. He plays his own <laughs> music that he made about how great he is, how great of a cult leader he is. Then he takes all his clothes off. And then one of the my favorite parts of the entire movie is this long, yep. long take, this close-up of him just basically rambling. Like, I could not follow Oh, no, I mean, saying. it was it was complete nonsense, but... It's just heavy, heavy saturation of pink on his face. And the way that shot, it looks almost like it's her eyes on his face. And well, everything it, it, else. it like kind of morphs back and forth. Yeah. And it gets it's to this really point where cool. you don't really know what exactly it is that you're looking at and everything. And I, I thought that that I agree with you. I think that that was yeah. where this movie succeeded is in shots like that. And right before that, too, when she's being led into that room when we first get the kind of weird purple pink color scheme, the way they uh, visualize the trails of like her tripping on, on the acid. Oh yeah. That was really well done. It, it really, you, you, you're sitting there and you feel like you're in her perspective. Yeah. That you're fucked up on. Everybody's just like, there's like acid. this like in trail behind yeah. them as they're moving through. And yeah. It's, and that then, works really well. And then, uh, we get the horrible burning scene. Which I think the the only thing that makes that scene work is Nicolas Cage's performance. Mm -hmm. He is just crying his fucking eyes out, completely forced to watch his love being burned alive in front of him. Uh, Other than that, the scene is kind of whatever, but he sells it. Well, and I think that another beautiful piece of uh, that is right in the aftermath of that when he's finally able to find a way to escape through this and he goes up to her like charred remains and like tries to go up it looks like he tries to go up and like brush her face and it just crumbles because her face is just ash now it's not even her face it's her skull yeah it's like her ash skull but to get to that point you have to watch an hour of movie to get there and all we all we really have in that first half is like a conversation that they have in bed about planets and what their favorite planets are (laughs) and then uh some account from her childhood of i can't even remember what she was talking about of some animals that were killed or something it 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 was it was really forgettable for me to kind of latch on to yeah and those moments i've seen a lot of people talk about they're like oh man this movie like the crux of this movie is whether or not you buy their love interest and i don't I did not whatsoever. It like, wasn't I just, sold well. Yeah. It wasn't. And people were like, oh, man, it's such a good restrained performance from them. And I didn't find it restrained. I just found it boring and yeah, shallow. So damn boring. Yeah. And like and there was just so many like loose threads in the first half of the movie. They're never really like she has the shop that one of the cult lady leaders comes <laughs> yeah, into. <laughs> And then also it keeps panning back to this like younger girl who looks like she was once in um uh uh I'm blanking on the, the name yeah the actress's name but uh she was once in her in Mandy's position and um she like 
is and I was expecting for her storyline to go somewhere. Maybe she'll well, revolt against them. The characters' names are Brother Swan, <laughs> Mother Marlene, Sis, Sister Lucy, Brother Klopek. Like really strange characters. And we got Red, Nicholas Cage playing Red. Yeah, one of the characters' names is Fuck Pig. What the <laughs> fuck? Fuck pig. Yes, that kind of tells you all you need to know about this movie. Yeah. But um, okay, so right after right after that, we get Cheddar Goblin, <laughs> which is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Uh, probably the weirdest scene I've seen all year. But it was just the most bizarre macaroni and cheese commercial that we get right. Oh, well, smack. well, right after before we actually get to that, we get to my favorite scene of the movie, which is. Nicholas Cage uh, escapes from this clutches, sees his charred remains of his wife, and then goes into the bathroom and well, finds like Cheddar a bottle Goblin, of... Cheddar Goblin is right before that. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, okay, because okay. it's the charred remains. Then he walks in. He has literally just seen his wife be burned alive, and he's okay. greeted. He walks into his house, and he's greeted with this che- macaroni and cheese Cheddar Goblin commercial, which is kind of like... I, I, I read somewhere online, I don't know if it was Twitter, if someone tweeted this or something, but I read this online that that is kind of Panos Cosmatos letting you know that you can kind of laugh at this movie. Because I remember yeah. we saw when we saw it, we were laughing out loud yeah. at that scene. Cause you, it's you have so just, goddamn bizarre. <laughs> you have just witnessed this horrible, horrible, traumatic moment where his love is burned alive in front of him. And then literally right after that, cheddar goblin is selling you macaroni and cheese and that's kind of the director letting you know okay the movie's about to take a turn you can kind of like breathe a yeah. little bit um and it's just so weird but then but then right talking about that, the weird tonal shifts we get this moment of levity and then nick cage finds this bottle of like vodka and like stumbles into the bathroom and this is the best scene in well the he movie, doesn't find opinion. it you can he, tell that he was probably like trying not to drink because at the very beginning of the movie his co-worker offers him a right. beer and he like refuses it so then he has this bottle of vodka like stashed away in the bathroom and he knows he knows exactly where it is it's like he hid it from himself right he pulls it out and we get we get full-on cage yeah and it's just in one scene of like one three take. minutes or something like that one long take it's him in this beautiful set with the wallpaper and everything yeah. around him and you see Every range of emotion that Nick Cage it's has incredible. from it's complete rage to just breaking down sobbing to this like it it's like maniacal like this kind of look that he gets. And then finally, it's just this look of acceptance and need for revenge. Is he's like where he's he, pouring the vodka down his throat. Pouring like, it out because he also gets stabbed before all this happens. Oh, so he he's pours in, it into his wounds. Yeah, he's like pouring it onto his open wounds, pouring it into his mouth, just completely fucking losing it. He goes full cage. It's glorious. I think I think and, it is the best scene in the movie. I think that it is. Yeah. And I just from that point on we do get some more full cage, but like it it's, took us an hour to get to full cage. I just want to come out of the gate swinging. Like I know what I'm getting yeah. into with the Nicolas Cage movie. Just and it, I go wish all that in. The, the second half of that mo- of the movie had more moments like that. Right. We do get the moment when he gets captured again, um, and we'll get to that in a second where he does kind of go full cage again. But before that, he has the moment with the the trailer park uh, crossbow guy where mm-hmm. he gets his crossbow 
and then we get the blacksmithing scene where he smelts his customized axe which is it looks amazing but it it doesn't it doesn't do anything it never nothing ever happens that's the thing is like a lot of things is he's like making these weapons or he gets his crossbow it's used like one time and then that's it and you're like yeah. it was a cool scene to have this actually happen but now i want to see like this go yeah, somewhere which is one of my biggest complaints complaints with the second half of this movie that you're building 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 to this revenge moment of of Nick Cage going after this cult and these lizard people lizard demons whatever the fuck they are and it it doesn't really you never get that like fuck yeah get a moment like all that really happens that i liked was him being captured um and basically like deciding to just do fucking weird li- de- demon lizard drugs and like tripping out and yeah. like <laughs> he does like a mountain of cocaine <laughs> well, he, he just... walks on to he walks into the room where this lizard demon is like watching porn and jerking his like sword penis <laughs> his blade, sword penis. blade penis to this porn and he has like a mountain of cocaine in front of him because you know he's a lizard demon so he needs they need lots of cocaine <laughs> as we all know lizard demons have a higher tolerance than humans so, so... Nick cage kills this lizard demon and he's just like well i'm gonna fucking do this <laughs> And it's okay. like so out of nowhere, he just picks up a piece of broken glass with like a ton of cocaine and just snorts it all right away. Like, God it's damn. A, it's a great Nick Cage it's, moment. It's though. a great Nick Cage moment. But, but there's just not enough of that. And there's so many things that are like, oh, okay, I guess. Like whenever he gets captured the second time and then a demon, he's like talking shit to the demon and he kicks him into this giant open pit, which is right <laughs> next to him. Like they tie him up in this bathroom and there's just a huge open pit right there on his left side. Like, hey, maybe we should like finish building the floor over here. So, no? Okay. All right. All right. And it just it just indefinitely falls. Yeah, you just fall forever. straight back to hell, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, it's nonsense. Yeah. It's and then after nonsense. that, he starts picking off the rest of the crew and it's all very uneventful. Even when one of the uh, confrontations is built up with this like chainsaw uh, versus chainsaw like oh i got a bigger chainsaw than you like it doesn't that's the thing really i mean is if you it. told me that this movie that there was a chainsaw fight with nick cage in this movie i'd be like fuck yes yeah. here we fucking go and then it's just not very well choreographed at, at all, all. And, at all yeah and then it just ends like and two then right after later. that and then yeah exactly and then right after that he finally uses the fucking custom axe and it's just so uneventful and unimpressive and there's no sense of like real i don't know movement and and uh uh what's the word uh, the the action just doesn't leap off the screen as it should in a movie like this when everything else is leaping off the screen when yeah. you get that scene with the the LSD chemist that just beautiful scene yeah that's set with the with the uh, almost like Blade Runner uh, looking lights yeah. on top of the on top of the ceiling or on the ceiling and the tiger, which the tiger doesn't look that great. But just the concept of him like covered in blood going up to this LSD chemist who and- has like 
like centipedes or millipedes or something like that crawling all over him and the like around yeah, his feet. I don't know. Was that then, was that just a hallucination? It might have been because he just did like weird demon acid. Yeah. But he like goes there and then this guy's like reading his mind and he's just like, oh, okay, I see. Yeah. And then he lets the tiger free, which I don't think that's what Nick Cage was saying at all in his head. But and then I'm like, is Nick Cage gonna fight a tiger here? And that just goes nowhere like there's so many things about this movie where i feel like they're writing it and they're like oh yeah here we go yeah oh, and then, oh, and then oh, after yeah, that he finds he kind of finds the 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 um cult leader apparently from meeting this uh lsd chemist he knows where to go and you just cut to nick cage walking down some tunnel and it looks great like uh, everything that happens in the final moments of this movie look amazing like even the the set design of this like chapel looking looking, thing it looks amazing but i just wasn't invested in the actual story like i was like yeah this this looks beautiful but i i i'm just ready for the movie to end at this point yeah at at that point we're like an hour and 45 minutes in and it was like one of those things nothing has been really wowing me so let's just wrap this isn't a movie that like this is a terrible movie to just put straight on video on demand because I feel like most people who watch this movie are going to be like, all right, I'm out and they'll turn it off <laughs> yeah. or they'll get on their phone or something like that and be like, oh my God, it's still going. But like, that's, that's kind of just what I mean about this movie is that like, it just nothing, it really doesn't work. And I feel like the more that we talk about the movie, the more it falls apart in my head. Like <laughs> I'm getting like a worse interpretation yeah. of the film, the more that I actually try to figure out what's happening because in the end, nothing of it makes any goddamn sense at all. Um, the yeah, last, just, the last couple shots are, are really, really great though. That where Nick Cage is like in the inside of that car and it's just fully red and he's completely covered in blood and he just gives this amazing that Nick Cage look. <laughs> his eyes just popping out of his head. I, I thought that was amazing. Uh, and then the very, very last shot is just this like really psychedelic looking landscape with like crazy looking planets and shit. It, it just kind of tells you that yeah. You know, this isn't some other reality, some other world. It's all kind of fantasy. But at that point, you're just like, sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, this movie just totally, it was kind of all over the place. I just wish that would have picked a side. Like, this is, I heard somebody, I don't remember if I heard somebody or read somebody somewhere, but somebody said, like, this is the movie that Nick Cage thinks he's making every time he signs on to make a B-list straight-to-video movie. Like yeah. this is what all Nick Cage has been going. This is what Nick out. Cage thought that he was doing all of those times. Yeah. This is the first time where it's actually happened the way that he wanted to, but it still didn't necessarily land in the best way. Just because it is just it doesn't know what it wants to be. Whether it wants to be art house, whether it wants to be a B horror gore movie. Um, I think maybe Panos was trying to do some sort of mesh between that. I think that's why the two halves of the movie feel so kind of separate and and disjointed. And there is this tonal disparity because he wanted to make this like really gory, uh, almost slasher, uh, cheap horror movie crossbred with this artsy fartsy tree of life esque thing. And I guess it is that I guess he kind of succeeded, but if there's no good characters and storyline to follow, then what what's the point, really? Yeah. Like, are you're you're just watching a really pretty movie that turns into a really gory movie? Yeah, 
and it's like it's a screensaver movie yeah (laughs) yeah great that's a great description um overall i i didn't think it was horrible you know i 99 cents was a perfect yeah investment on it cheaper than Uh, a movie ticket yeah i thought it was fine It, it 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 earns a seven just because of these like small moments of brilliance, mm. like the bathroom scene, like some of the the cinematography, like that uh, LSD chemist scene, and and just the some the, the some of the thought put into like the lighting and the set design and the practical stuff. Um, but it it's not really anything special in in terms of you know a a, dr- a, a captivating dramatic tale. Yeah, I I completely agree with you as far as that goes. Um, one note I wanted to say about lizard demons is they look like a cross between, like, this movie doesn't exist, but imagine, like, Hellraiser 6 and also Leprechauns, like a mashup of those two <laughs> things. That would be the movie that these, these creatures are from. Are they human? Are they actually demons? Like, what's Because they have, like, food. And they like live on Earth and they watch porn. So like, are they humans? Like, what's what exactly is their thing? Yeah, I don't know where they even came from because they're summoned with that ocarina looking thing. But like, they have a house. Yeah. So I with a giant pit in the middle of it. <laughs> like this, this movie just has so many. If you're watching this movie, I have so many more questions that I do yeah. answers, and sometimes that's a good thing. In this movie, I don't really always think that that works yeah. so yeah uh one last thing what do you think of it having a 90 something percent on the tomato meter that is extremely odd like that makes no sense to me i could like i feel like the majority of people that watch this movie would hate it yeah i know this movie came out of sundance so it's probably a lot of like cinephile people are like oh it's beautiful it's not like any other like big budget superhero film that's coming it's out different. this year and i feel like people um overrate things that are different and original for that reasoning that they're like oh my god it's not another superhero movie so it's great and that yeah. i don't think that necessarily which i mean it is nice to see something different yeah you know it is nice to but that see doesn't a... inherently make it great exactly. mother came out last year mother was trying to do that and i hate mother yeah so. or sorry to bother you sorry you to know? bother you a yeah. movie that is very very different but it's not necessarily anything transcendent right so overall mandy is a perfectly fine movie to watch um if you're ready to just get your kids together tuck them <laughs> off on adventure maybe put some kids put some acid in like your eight-year-old's uh eight-year-old's Inject box. with with some mystery gigantic <laughs> with wasp. some with some gray demon acid yeah. sludge and you'll have a good time all right let's wrap it up um we are at we bought a mic on twitter so go ahead and celebrate International Podcast Day. It won't be International Podcast Day when you listen to this, but it is when we're recording it's it. It's always International Podcast Day in our hearts. Yes. Uh, and we bought a mic at gmail.com if you want to email us with your, again, with your insults and expletive um, come at us and whatnot. If, um, if you think that we're just a bunch of fucking normies because we don't quote-unquote get Mandy, then uh, <laughs> give us all your negative feedback. If you want Drew back, just try to have some sort of seance or Ouija board type thing yeah. and pray to the podcast over. If you're wondering how to do that, just watch Hereditary. It's a great, great documentary on how to bring back loved ones. Uh, plug in. Make sure you plug in all your podcast equipment during a lightning storm and just... <laughs> 
fuck with the outlet uh, a la yeah. Twin Peaks s. So maybe yeah. Drew will just like he'll just fall appear out through the, the outlet through the outlet. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. Uh, all right, what do you want to plug, dude? Um, you can check me out on Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley. Um, yeah, yeah, that's about it. Um, at Caldernist on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. And hopefully I will have a little uh, review of First Man up Hell soon. yeah. Uh, spoiler free. Make sure it's goddamn spoiler yeah, free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to get, um, We're gonna get abducted yeah. by <laughs> Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle's going to hit mob. Damien is actually like Fletcher <laughs> from Whiplash and he will destroy our asses. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. All right. Um, we will be back next week with Star is Born. A Star is Born. Oh, Hell yeah. yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. All right. We will see you then. Bye bye. Peace.